a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away. Here on the Star Cruiser Project Ecology, we're being attacked by the Separatists, but we don't have an army. Oh, wait. Somebody who died years ago that used to be a part of our crew actually ordered in a giant army. And yeah, so now we have an army. <laughs> okay, so I have so many questions about the logistics of a clone army in Star Wars. Like, I was watching it this past week, and I'm just, I'm kind of floored. Like, my the biggest question is, who the heck paid for this? sifo is basically like, uh, he's just a Jedi. I think coming from uh, the Dooku Jedi Lost book, he, it's either him, uh, Dooku, and or sifo that was like raised from royalty, but that's still not enough to buy like a million and a half clones. <laughs> Where did this come from? All right. But yes, welcome to another episode of Project Ecology. We are on episode 26. And this week we are covering Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Ooh, highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes as the best Star Wars film ever. And if you do it not really realize that... <laughs> and if you do not realize this is sarcasm, I am sorry. I am being sarcastic. Uh, but... No, no, no. You, it's, it's legit. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Best Star yeah, Wars I... movie, period. Is None, it really? It's not. I have no oh, idea what it is. Oh my I, I know it's Dude, widely considered me. widely considered the worst, but uh, for the purpose of today's show, Attack of the Clones is the best, you know? Until we cover Revenge of the Sith, which will then be the best. So uh, yeah, so Attack of the Clones <laughs> is, is amazing, you know? I cannot wait to dig into uh, episode 26 of Project Ecology, where we go, uh, maybe not scene by scene on Attack of the Clones, but we'll surely talk about the best scenes. I actually, I was like trying to piece together some things that I never really thought about, and I'm excited to like talk about and dissect on the show today, specifically with the fight scene at the end, um, but also the clone army and also the, you know, the, the relationship between Padme and Anakin, why it's so creepy, and, uh, and more. For those of you who are just coming onto Project Geekology, I am one of the hosts, Anthony, and the other person that is talking is Dakota. And Anthony, we have a time-honored tradition on Project Ecology that before we get into the meat and bones of our topic of the day, we ask each other what we've been up to this past week because uh, as some of you know some of you don't know we live on opposite uh, opposite sides of the country we never see each other especially during the, the pandemic so anthony what have you been up to you know i always do something during the week that i that's worthy of saying man i did this this week and then i always forget what it is same here by the time by the time it gets to podcast recording i'm like man what is it that i did and why can I not remember? Well, I mean, since our last recording, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong. That's that's cool. That's something. That's something that we are going to have to cover through the MonsterVerse. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to cover the other ones before we actually get to that film. But yeah, no, that there's that. Uh, I've still been on Monster Hunter Rise. I've been playing a little bit more Overwatch on uh, PC. I actually found a little crew that I've been running with on Overwatch, so that's been nice. It, it's always 
fun to have a, a crew of people to play with on certain games. Uh, Overwatch is definitely a lot more fun when you have people to play with because you can joke around and there's a little bit more coordination. Yeah, nothing crazy. I know that there's something else that I did that I was going to say, but I can't remember. And I'm going to remember after we record, as I always do, and I'm going to be upset with myself. All right, um, so maybe maybe I will jog your memory with what I've been up to. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. What have you what have you been up to? What is going on in the world of Dakota besides craziness? Oh, uh, only craziness. That's the thing. That's my superpower. Uh, no, so Star Trek Legends is a new game that came out like a week ago. It's a new gotcha game. You know me and my gotcha games. But this one is free-ish. You know, it's through the like Apple Arcade, which I think it's like a $5 a month thing. I don't know if I'm going to keep it going just because I already have too many streaming services. But it's $5 a month and it gives you access to like... 90 new games that just came out and one of those is star trek legends it's a new it's one of those games that plays like a gotcha but also doesn't at the same time in the sense that you never run out of energy so you could you know technically play forever and not like waste time waiting for your energy to renew you don't have to pay for any tokens they're everything that you can get is is free to play in the actual game which is something i like uh it has a little bit of a story to it it kind of uh takes some of the main characters from a bunch of different uh star trek series from you know uh across the years you have some from the original series you have some from the next generation and then you have uh you know some new ones from like discovery or the picard series and uh, it's okay, you know, it's okay. It's not something um, I think I'm going to continue playing, but it's been fun and it's it's worth mentioning because uh, it's a different feel for a gotcha game in the sense that um, you don't have to pay for... You have, I mean, you do have to... There is a technical you have to pay to play with Apple Arcade, but throughout the game, you're not going to buy uh, any in-game purchases you know like you'll never see an advertisement in the game which is something that i really appreciate other than that last week i started um or not that i started but i didn't mention it in last week's podcast because i totally forgot but we watched the first ewok movie uh caravan oh. of courage and yes ooh, i've you never ever, seen that before oh you've never seen it no so i remember watching those when i was younger and I've always had a vague memory on those. There's very bits, various bits and pieces that I remember. The one part that I always remember, and I and I would always, I remember for the longest time, I was like, man, what movie was that from? Where one of the kids, he falls in the water and gets like stuck under the water. Yeah, that was Caravan of Courage. That's the one I just Right, watched. right. But I, for so many years, I remember there being an Ewok movie, and then I remember there being that moment. And I was thinking, are they connected? I remember that being a moment, but yes, I remember watching those movies, and they are largely forgettable. Yeah. Some interesting, and, like, special effects, though. I'm, I'm actually surprised by some of the special effects, like the... I forget what they're called or whatever, but like there's like little Tinkerbell type fairies in them that like the special effect, considering it was in the 80s, was actually pretty good, especially on this like extremely low budget piece of crap extremely movie. Extremely low budget. And then 
these Ewoks, they can like speak basic and it's No, they don't sorts. speak basic. They they don't speak basic. They're they're literally just Ewok. Or am I thinking of the second one? I remember Maybe. there being one Maybe. where they were like speaking English. Okay. Well, that wasn't this one. Um, maybe not. Maybe not the whole time, but I remember there being moments that there was English being spoken by these Ewoks. Um, it kind of follows the outline of maybe the Hobbit. This movie, not not in the sense that um, it's anywhere near as good as the Hobbit, but it's the idea of just being like jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire over and over and over again so like they would get themselves out of trouble but by doing so they'd find another tr another problem and they'd walk a little bit and then they'd find themselves in another problem and it's just like it's really jarring and um also nerve-wracking and was really sometimes it felt like star wars and sometimes it didn't at all you know like <laughs> instead of calling it a blaster they called it a gun but it still worked like a blaster but sometimes it works like a lightsaber because it's like a constant fire. It's really weird. Yeah, it's... Uh... Watching those movies, they almost look like fan films. Yeah. I mean, that would be a really well-done fan film. It just doesn't go anywhere. And there are some it. really well-done fan films these days. Just think of, you know, nowadays, if it were accessible back in the 80s. You know that that type of like fan film, but yeah, no, exa I know exactly what you're talking about. There are moments where it just you get like there's parts of those movies that you they just take you right out of it, and yeah. you you forget why you're watching it. You can watch those on Disney Plus now. They just uh, dropped them, both the um, the two Ewok movies as well as the uh, the original Clone Wars shorts uh, that were on Cartoon Network back in the day. Oh, uh, uh, dude, I want to watch through that. I've I never seen that either. That. I had seen bits and pieces, or I had seen episodes here and there. I didn't watch the show as a whole, but I have seen episodes of it. It was pretty cool. Um, I want to watch through it again. But I do remember liking Clone Wars a little bit more, yeah. just because just because um, that style of animation was not always as common, you know, like that 3D animation. Yeah, it was the same guy. the The original like 2D one is the same guy who did like Samurai Jack and stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, so that that style transfers over into his other works. But um, yeah, I wanna. I want to give that a shot. Um, that would be really cool. But oh, I also had the opportunity to listen to a couple books, but the most notable one was the audio drama that they created for Dr. Afra. It's a Star Wars character that was created for uh, the comic run uh, in 2015, like after Disney bought the, the property rights. So it, it kind of follows... The, the the first couple volumes of the Star Wars comics and also the Vader comics, um, and she was a character that was aiding Vader in trying to figure out who this uh, who the Rebel was that blew up the Death Star, and it's like the journey of how he how he Vader came to know that Luke Skywalker was the one who blew up the Death Star and like he was going through his past basically and Dr. Aphra's joining him and trying to figure it out. It's an interesting uh, audio drama. It's not the best audio drama I've, I've, I've heard uh, but it's a cool retake on what happened in the comics 
because that that's a run that I really enjoyed back in the day. But uh, yeah, so that's cool. If you ever get the chance to listen to um, Dooku Jedi Lost, that's that's a better audio drama in my opinion by Kevin Scott. Oh, you said uh, Dooku Jedi Lost? Oh yeah, I, I've listened to that. Absolutely loved it. It was like listening to an episode of Clone Wars. Wasn't it? Yeah, it's so cool. That's all I can think of. Oh, I started listening to a book by uh, the YouTuber Daniel Green. I don't know if you have ever checked his work out. He does like a lot of fantasy reviews and he's a booktuber. Um, I've, I've worked with him for a couple videos back in the day, uh, just like a collab sort of thing. And now he finally has his first book out. So I'm starting that and it's, it's pretty good so far. So I'm, I'm excited to finish it. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Nice. Was I able to jog your memory at all as to what you've been up to this past week? Not at all. I am <laughs> so sorry, Anthony. But uh, with that being said, should we jump into Attack of the Clones? Yes, we may attack it. Let's do it. What if instead of Attack of the Clones, it was called Attack the Clones? And, you know, <laughs> it's just the Jedi learning about this clone army on Geonosis. Or not Geonosis, um, Kamino. And just, you know, just tearing through these, like, chambers of, like, you know, these incubated people about to be clones and just, you know, destroying them, attacking the clones. <laughs> Attack them all. Did you want to do the beginning of this one? Because the beginning is always, like, so forgettable to me. Uh, I, sure, I can, I can do that. If you would like. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember the intro, but there's, like, bits and pieces to the beginning that I remember when I'm watching it, but trying to think about it, I can't. All right, so with with Attack of the Clones, it's interesting because it's one of the longer Star Wars movies. It's like two two hours, 26 minutes or something like that. I think the only longer Star Wars movie that there is is Rise of Skywalker. And somehow they're the two most forgettable Star Wars movies. Like, I don't even remember what happens in the Rise of Skywalker. So it'll be good to finally get caught up on that when we do it on the podcast um attack of the clones is kind of the same in that there's a lot that goes on there's a lot of story beats that have to happen for the big moments to happen but a lot of it seems to be forgettable but i mean i watched it yesterday and today so um like I, i started watching it yesterday then i finished it today so uh the movie starts in actually a really cool way like uh what i always love is like how they introduce the galaxy um after the the credit roll in the beginning as the credit roll begins and the starscape like shows up you see a couple ships flying into coruscant's atmosphere but they all do like a little flip as they uh correct their flight pattern to you know i guess be like bottom down to Coruscant. It's actually a kind of cool concept that looks really cool at the start of the movie. So yeah. that's... There's actually a lot of really beautiful scenes in this movie. Uh, one of the more tragic ones for me is the the moment where like a young Boba is holding the head of Jango Fett in the helmet and he kind of like puts it to his head and it's just like chaos in the background. That's just like a lot of beautifully 
you could tell it was like great concept art that introduced or influenced certain scenes and i love that kind of stuff but anyway we're, we're entering coruscant at the beginning of the film and the ship that docks there gets blown up and one of padme's uh handmaidens uh corday is destroyed with that ship so um someone is out to get padme's life basically she is yep. being hunted down we kind of cut to a scene where the jedi are talking to uh senator palpatine and they're trying to figure out how to stop something or other i don't really know the you know the senate needs some new power or some new um i don't even yeah there, there's so much like political intrigue that doesn't interest me at all right i just those are the scenes i'm like just like you know on instagram or twitter on my phone yeah so padme kicks the door down and says you guys better protect me or else uh <laughs> no but, but but she kind of is very stern in that moment obviously her friend just died for her like at her expense so she's uh hugely distraught but right yes she's sent to uh stay in some tower or apartment or other i don't think it's her actual bedroom or anything or no it might be actually because the jedi go to meet her there and yeah so anakin and obi-wan are sent to be her bodyguards right and this is where we have an older anakin that's played by hayden uh hayden christensen instead of uh, jake lloyd because you know the filming between episode one and episode two is shorter than the actual year gap between the between episode and episode uh two and so yeah we have uh anakin he's uh sweating his is a meeting with padme for the first time in 10 years and uh you know we have um obi-wan he's joking and you know like in that moment with him joking i i could see like a quick flash of like old obi-wan right there alec alec guinness obi-wan yeah yeah it's interesting how um that starts creeping into his personality with the second film and even more so in the last film he's much more stoic um and stuff but i guess you can understand that after you know he lost so many people in the war basically over the years right yeah it's it's actually quite uh funny little like almost like a father-son sort of scene but they're jedi so it's they're not supposed to have that connection but you know you spend enough time with uh, another person as um you know a master and apprentice and you start to develop those uh feelings or that relationship with one another so he knows anakin is sweating this uh moment with padme and for whatever reason anime anime um anakin has these thoughts for padme i I mixed anakin and padme and came with anime um he has had these thoughts for 10 years apparently so this is if if the phantom menace occurred in 32 bby before the battle of yavin then this occurs in 22 bby which would also correlate with the start of the clone wars which would end three years later in 19 bby so 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting that like he has been so fixated on Padme. He's been dreaming about her, and she hasn't changed once in my dreams, uh, or something like that. <laughs> and she barely recognizes me, Jar Jar. And um, yeah, so also Jar Jar makes uh, an appearance in this scene, which is interesting. What I mean, we talked a little bit about. Jar- well, we talked a lot about Jar Jar last time, but he's an interesting character in this one. He's a lot more subdued a lot less silly he still fumbles with his words uh at some point uh in the (laughs) i think he's addressing the senate and he i forget which two words he mixes together but he flips the first letter of the first and last word and nobody laughs and i'm thinking to myself if this was like the actual like like any organization i think they would get a laugh out of that but they're probably so sick of jar jar after all these years that they just like (laughs) let him finish (laughs) i know but he's nowhere near the the character that he was in episode one he's not as much of a bumbling fool they probably did that because of his reception 100 percent which is interesting because i want to know what the original treatment would have been for jar jar or like what his role would have been in the rest of the prequels had he not had such a a failure from the first film because that's it's pretty clear like they failed with that character if they you know got rid of him so thoroughly in the following two sequels um attack of the clones and uh revenge of the sith but he does live, uh, he's still around, and he's influencing uh, the galaxy at large. Yeah, he is, with his drunken master ways. Yeah, he's, his drunken master ways have, like, he's fallen <laughs> He's fallen right up that ladder uh, into a Senate position. How he I know, that, I, know. I, I was gonna, I was gonna say, like, I mean, how, how else could somebody go from you know bumbling fool to bombad general to you know senate for the senator for the naboo he's one of those and seriously like he has you know like people will fall down the ladder but he's he's one of those rare individuals who like got his job by falling up it <laughs> and he is he's a close friend to padme they're both senators from naboo uh technically even though he's a Gungan, uh, he would just be, uh, I guess, the senator for the Gungan people. I don't know how it works. But right, like both, the voice for them. Yeah, they're, they're both senators from Naboo. Um, so they have that in common. And he spends time with her as she is in lockdown after the assassination attempt. Uh, what do you think about the exchange that Padme has with Anakin and Obi-Wan when they first show up? I don't think that like she was really selling too much on like the happiness maybe she was trying to stay in senator mode without being too like oh my gosh i'm so happy to see you while there were you know while she was still like she was out in the open and you know still kind of in i don't know i just felt i don't know if it was the acting or if that was how she was supposed to be do you think that she had any feelings for Anakin in that moment? In that moment? Not at all. Not at all, right? And he's like totally floored by it because he's had this crush on her for years and it's developed into an obsession clearly because he 
um, is super overbearing with her the whole movie and stuff. But so yeah, he he's frustrated. He's like talking to Jar Jar about it, and <laughs> Jar Jar, Ami, I'm so so happy to see you. Stuff I know. like that. I know Jar Jar is like clearly happy. Yeah. And uh, probably only the ha- the only happy person there. Well, I mean, it's it's understandable though because Corday, uh, imagine your bodyguard that you've been with for ten plus years has just died because someone's trying to assassinate you. That's mm. kind of a uh, that I would be distraught for at least the day. Uh, probably much longer than that, but um, for the sake of these movies. Like Star Wars in general, people don't stay distraught for people uh, for long periods of time. We know Luke Skywalker; he looked at the remains of his uh, his family homestead, his uh, you know his uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, uh, their smoldering corpses, and went off to fight a war and never thought about them again. So, yeah, people don't mourn uh, losses like they used to, unless you're Vader. Then you're in like a deep funk for over 25 years. Uh, yeah, unless you're Vader, to, you know, to which you become a uh, <laughs> Sith Lord for love. Yes, for love, of course. <laughs> Sith Lord for love. Oh man. All right, uh, so let's let's get out of this uh, this little like pocket universe that we went into. Yeah. All right, so they're they're like waiting outside of Padme's room. She has turned the cameras off. It's really funny to me that she didn't want Anakin uh, looking at her while she's sleeping. I would do the same thing if I were Padme. Like, I'm going to turn these cameras off uh, tonight anyway. Yeah. And Anakin's like, oh, don't worry. I can sense everything that goes on in this room with my force powers. And, okay. You know, it's kind of creepy. It's really creepy actually like a lot of a lot of the stuff that anakin does in this movie is just like (sighs) like very obsessive yeah yeah he's very obsessive and you know obsessive and and possessive there's another attempt on the senator's life uh you want to talk a little bit about that i've always thought that scene was pretty cool so yeah there's another attempt on padme's life with these uh gigantic earwigs and <laughs> earwigs gigantic like... earwigs <laughs> no they're um i forgot what their actual names were i remember looking them up but yeah they're the these like venomous worm or venomous like centipede things yeah they look like centipedes i know yeah they, they kind of reminded me of uh those those centipedes from king kong 2006 oh yeah huh I mean, even though that these, even though, um, this movie was before that, I like what, I I don't know, like watching the film yesterday made me think of that. So yeah, they, Obi-Wan and Anakin sense them when they're about to strike and Anakin and Obi-Wan come in, Anakin kills those worms and Obi-Wan sees, uh, this droid hovering at the window and he like jumps and grabs this droid which is actually like a very anakin thing to do Mm -hmm. i was thinking about that i was like he's always talking about anakin doing stuff like that and he just did it right there um it's almost like a do as i say and not as i do type thing yeah exactly and so you know anakin he goes out he gets a speeder you know goes after obi-wan 
yeah, I mean, just in time because the droid gets shot down by the person that's trying to assassinate or the person that was hired by the actual person who was hired to assassinate um, Padme. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole chain of command here that they're trying to suss out. And it's actually a really cool scene. It's one of the more memorable scenes in Attack of the Clones, in my opinion. Um, and I think it was supposed to kind of be the equivalent of the pod racing scene from the first movie. Right. And there's something about that scene that is very reminiscent to, in a weird way, I, I think maybe because of the, the floating um, speeders and in the city setting, it kind of makes me think a little bit of um, Fifth Element. Yeah, it has that fifth element, that Blade Runner feel. Um, right. I it, it it kind of merges a lot of different sci-fi, uh, a lot of different sci-fi elements from previous uh, movies that um, they took inspiration from, and even more down the line, like the the scene in the arena is very reminiscent of you know stuff that Lucas has been honest about being a inspiration for him, like John Carter and stuff. John so, Carter, there. Um, so, so yeah, th this scene is very like cyberpunky, to be honest. Uh, especially when, well, I, I do like the scene where Anakin catches Obi Wan after the droid gets caught, and uh, Obi Wan's like, "What took you so long?" And a Anakin's like, "Oh, well, you know, I had to find a speeder that I liked, you know." There's the so features. much good banter between Obi Wan and Anakin. <laughs> there, there really is. And that, that's the one thing that I do have to say, that for all the faults that Hayden Christensen has, there is some chemistry for sure between him and uh, Ewan McGregor, that they do have good scenes together. And um, this is yeah. one of those scenes that, that I enjoy, uh, because uh, Obi-Wan is like, if you if you spent your your sword or like if you spent time on your swordsmanship as you did on your wit you would rival yoda with a lightsaber and, and uh and anakin's like oh i thought i already did <laughs> he goes only in your dreams my young padawan i know uh, i love uh, that there's so many great little lines um in this scene and even like the sound effects like going back to what i was saying earlier are very yeah. reminiscent of the pod racing scene where it was just like super sound effect heavy and this is also very super sound effect heavy because you have so many more ships going by and aliens going what the and you know like yeah Jedi poodle. <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i was thinking and I, I thinking back on that scene i can actually hear the speeder um that they're in yeah and uh and then yeah i like that uh that, you know they're chasing down the the bounty hunter and anakin goes for like a shortcut and they they like lose him and like obi-wan's just like so pissed he's like he's like well that's some shortcut he went completely the other way <laughs> and then Anakin just like jumps off. I hate when he does that. Um, yeah. yeah, and Anakin's like, uh, "This is a shortcut, I think." <laughs> uh, there's so many good little things in this scene worth talking about. Another one that I found like was really interesting in later on in the series, obviously in like uh, A New Hope, Obi Wan doesn't like flying, and it's like. 
but he doesn't express that at all in The Phantom Menace. And later on, like throughout this, like uh, as, as time goes on throughout the prequels, he steadily grows a hatred for flying. And by the third film, like I think it's the opening of the third film, he's just like, I hate flying or something like that. But in this, in this scene, Anakin like talks about, I, I thought you hated flying. And he's just like, well, no, I don't hate oh, flying. No, no. Um, Anakin's like kind of like going all about and uh, Obi-Wan says something. And um, Anakin's like, oh, yeah, I forgot you hate flying. He says, I don't, I don't mind flying, but what you're doing is suicide. Yeah, so he starts becoming a grumpy old man by, by this film. And, like, over the course of his years as a Star Wars character, he eventually hates flying. So I, th- I liked that uh, a little bit, too. Right. Uh, so, so Anakin has... Um, he latches onto... Well, he, he uh, pretty much skydives onto this the speeder of the of the bounty hunter and um you know kind of has like a scuffle you know uses his you know lightsaber to kind of you know cut into the into the systems or like try to you know stop the bounty hunter and uh, yeah zam wessel gets his like lightsaber knocked out out of his hand and uh to which obi-wan catches Anakin he grabs the blaster and shoots into the console so he jumps off onto this uh onto this landing and the speeder crashes Obi-Wan you know catches up with Anakin and uh Anakin reveals that it's a female changeling and I think I think he is a she and I think she is a changeling right and so they go into this bar and then this is like more confirmation of kind of like that cyberpunk vibe especially when you go into there they definitely went for like a full-on like akira or um blade runner type world you know yeah i love that did you ever have you ever seen blade runner yes dude we should do an episode on blade runner blade runner um fifth element all Yeah. yeah all those things but yeah, I, I, I like that moment with Obi-Wan when he goes to the bar. But yeah, uh, Obi-Wan tells Anakin to go look for the bounty hunter. And, and uh, Obi-Wan's like, oh, I'm going to go get a drink. <laughs> and uh, that dude that comes up to Obi-Wan asks him if he wants to buy death sticks. You want to buy some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. Absolutely <laughs> love that. It's just like peak Obi Wan Jedi Jedi mind trick right there, um, and and totally Obi Wan to like go and get a drink, which is again what he did in the cantina in Episode Four. So uh, you know, just more callbacks, but also like we're getting more of his personality, uh, his Alec Guinness personality coming to the fore. Uh, in, in this scene, we actually get a couple cameos in the background. I don't know if you caught any when they are like stalking or they're they're looking for zam wessel um they pass a couple people one of them is george lucas's daughter the next one is ahmed best who plays jar jar binks he's he's at the table there and then when when obi-wan sabers the blaster out of sam wessel's hand anthony daniels uh, who plays c-3po like turns around so couple pretty just i guess fun nods i guess they were looking for people 
to inhabit that scene. So I'm I'm sure most of the people in that scene are are like you know extras in the film that they just dressed up. <laughs> right. They're just like, all right, we're gonna need you to dress up as this. It's like the same people over and over, but just dressed up in other other costumes and prosthetics. Anyway, so they catch up with Zam Wessel. She um, is about to give them some sort of uh, information as to who the bounty hunter is, uh, but then she gets shot by some some dart that they don't know at this point what it is or where it comes from, and she calls them Slimos right before she dies. Famous last words. Slimos. But um, she... They ask her about, uh, well, they ask her who hired her, and she was actually about to tell them before she got killed. Yeah. Some bounty hunter named Schlemos. He has impeccable timing. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) I mean, like, right before his name was being said, she gets uh, assassinated. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Django, probably, probably. (laughs) <laughs> a better bounty hunter than Bo- than Boba. I know should have been the one that like did it to begin with, but you know maybe he didn't want it to get traced back to him, which it ended up being traced back to him. So yeah, <laughs> Padme's assassin is stopped, or the one that was hired this time around was stopped. So Obi-Wan kind of goes around. He's trying to figure out what this dart is, where it's from. He can't figure it out through his, uh, through the droid. So he goes to his buddy, Dex. Dexter Jetster, the owner of the most sanitary diner in all of Coruscant. I made, I made up that sanitary part. But a lot of people don't like Dexter. What are your thoughts on Dex? De- Dex didn't bother me. Um, I mean, the CG might have not have been the best, but it was not the worst CG that I had seen in this film. It also uh, kind of suffers just from age a little bit because the the CG is... I mean, we're much better at telling good CGI versus bad CGI at this point, uh, you know, almost 20 years later. And... This scene is starting to show some of the cracks um, in like what they were capable of back then. But you know, he's he kind of he did his job. Why he knows what these Camino saber darts are, we don't know. Yeah, so it kind of sends Obi Wan on this journey of discovery because he's already done some research on the thing. He can't find anything. Dex tells him exactly where the planet is Camino. why like it's uh 10 parsecs out of the outer rim so it's pretty far out there but it's he, he gives him you know it, he knows the quadrant and everything he knows where it's supposed to be but for whatever reason it's not in the jedi archives and it's kind of weird when he asks the librarian jocasta new like if it's possible that this planet or system doesn't exist because as star wars fans we hear of these worlds and you know there's only maybe 70 or so that are recurring you know that right and camino is one of them i think it shows up again in clone wars and stuff so 
Yeah, it definitely shows up in, Co- in uh, Clone Wars uh, because that's where the clones are. But yeah, kind of. I I really like the journey of discovery that Obi Wan goes on. I like the idea of going on um, some sort of Easter egg hunt, or not not an Easter egg hunt, but you know what I mean. Like it's a trail of breadcrumbs that he's following to uh, determine the authenticity of Dexter Jetster's information that will lead him to this planet. And he goes all the way. Um, up the chain of command, I guess, because Jocasta knew doesn't know anything and is kind of like snobby about it. You know, I like know. She... Yeah, I was I was about to say that. Like, she got like really salty about that. She's like, if if it's not in the archives, it does not exist. <laughs> it's like, well, dang, I didn't realize you, you knew about every single planet ex- exists ever. Well, no, and that's the thing. She she even admits to that like right beforehand because she goes, "It's not a it's not a system I'm familiar with," which means that there are other systems that she's not familiar with. So, yeah. So I mean, that, there's a whole mess of problems with Jocasta New there. I, 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 I kind of feel bad for her uh, apprentice um, just because you need you kind most apprentices in Star Wars go on adventures like Obi-Wan and Anakin did. They go to different locations, but characters like Jocasta knew were stuck in the library and on Coruscant. So most of the journeying that they did as a master and apprentice was right there, mostly in the library, you know, mostly in the Jedi archives. So uh, you kind of have, a, have to have a personality that fits that mold if you're going to enjoy your, uh, I guess your stay as a Jedi uh, and an apprentice to Jocasta New because I kind of felt bad for that kid. Um, I know, seriously. She probably, she, she's probably thinking like, oh, you want to go on an adventure? Go read that book. <laughs> <laughs> go organize our holocron section. Right. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> that's that's the extent of like... Um, oh, you want to be riveted? Here, organize this. Yes. You know, so he goes to Yoda about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so Yoda, this moment was definitely, like, for children. Because... Okay. all right, I see what you're saying. Because they go in, and he's, like, he, he shows Yoda, who's in the middle of class with uh, younglings, and he's, like, there there's a planet that's supposed to be here. There's a gravitational field, but there's no planet here. <laughs> and then Yoda's, like... He's like, all right, class. Well, if the, the if the gravitational pull is there, but there's no planet there or it, no planet showing, then what? Then what's the problem? And then one of the kids like, well, somebody deleted it from the archives. It's funny because it's like, well, if there's a gravitational field there and you don't see the planet on the thing, there's obviously something there. If there's some sort right. of gravitational field, so you might as well just go there to check it out to begin with. You know, instead of like going around wasting time. But like, I mean, that was like a moment for kids. It was a very like, like, a, you know, this dog is brown. Like, you know, trying to teach a kid to like, you know, be deductive. Well, I mean, I kind of like that, though, because Yoda has been working with younglings for a very long time. You know, even in the High Republic uh, period. Um, you haven't met Yoda in uh, that that period yet because you've only read Light of the Jedi. But in the High Republic Adventures that is written by Daniel Jose Older, it shows that 
Yoda has been basically working with a group of Padawans, and they're doing like side quests across the galaxy. Um, oh, nice. Kind of, kind of like what he's doing here at the the, the Jedi Temple with the younglings, but um, the the group he's working with in High Republic is a little bit older, uh, maybe a couple years older than those, and um, they're actually out on adventures, uh, you know, fighting the Nihil and stuff, which is pretty cool. But um, I appreciate that he is so fond of children. Yeah, I no, think. that that is that is good. I just think that the structure of the moment was just very. I, I can see what you're saying. It's it's childish. It was childish, to... but it kind of disrupted a little bit of a rhythm that was there. Maybe, maybe, or the yeah, or I... it, it disrupted the mood that was there. The fondness. I, I do get what you're talking about. The you know the fondness of building a young mind was great. I also and think. I, yeah, I also think Yoda was actually part of Yoda's like whole thing was, you know, asking questions and seeing what others thought of those questions and that would either solidify whatever he was thinking in his mind or he would learn something new. And I think you can really do that with children because they ask questions and they they see the universe in different ways than we as adults do in, in certain instances. And for whatever reason, Obi-Wan uh, kind of knew what had happened, but he needed just that extra confirmation, you know? And I, I kind of like, um, it, it's almost a... Uh, it's almost a Jesus parallel, you know, in the book of Mark, they talk about um, uh, people were bringing children up to Jesus and the apostles reprimanded them uh, because, you know, it's Jesus, you know, he's uh, he's got more important things to do than talk to children and Jesus reprimanded them because like, no, let them come. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> you have to be like children to understand these things. And uh, I, I kind of think that because Lucas was a Christian, so I think that he took those ideologies and placed them into. Well, we, I mean, we know that he placed them into Anakin uh, in the Phantom Menace because they they made him kind of like a messianic character. He had no father and stuff. But um, those ideals, those ideologies, I think, are sprinkled into certain other characters like Yoda. I think that that's a, a big one. Right. Um. And th- there's actually kind of like a, a parallel while. While Obi-Wan is going on this uh, investigation, Anakin is sent to Naboo with Padme to kind of, you know, be her bodyguard so she can go off world of Coruscant because she was in danger there. You know, so he was watching over her and she went to a place that she was familiar with and that she would be, you know, safe. So this is happening along that same moment. Like you get a better glimpse of Naboo and Naboo's countryside, which is like very beautiful. And I don't know if you've seen any of the deleted scenes for this movie. I've watched them recently. I mean, uh, a couple months ago at this point, uh, and it's actually pretty fascinating. Some of the stuff that they deleted, and I understand why they deleted it, just because you know it didn't really add anything to the story beyond character development for Padme and her family. Right. So they deleted some stuff between Padme and her father and Anakin and then her talking to her family. 
And they even had a deleted scene where it showed Obi-Wan going to the droids to get the saber dart analyzed. Oh, I don't, I don't remember that one. Yeah, that, yeah. that's the one I don't remember. Um, yeah. Yeah, they had a scene with that. So, yeah, the, yeah, they had a couple of deleted scenes from Anakin's moment with Padme and, uh, and Naboo. And so, yeah, there was a little bit... There's that growth between their relationship while Obi-Wan is, you know, he's doing his investigation. And it's kind of interesting when you talk about um, some of the deleted scenes and, like, thinking about why they deleted them. Um, because they're not bad scenes per se. Uh, some of them are actually quite heartwarming or kind of influence future scenes down the line. But, you know, as a filmmaker, you have to make those choices. You have to make those cuts uh, at some point in your movie if you're going to make it a reasonable amount of time for or a reasonable length for the movie to be. So Attack of the Clones was kind of overburdened by its length. And I think Attack of the Clones also has some of the most uh, deleted scenes, some of the most substantial deleted scenes, you know, like whole whole like set pieces, you know, whole chapters were deleted and especially on Naboo. Yeah. But when it comes to stuff like the, the droids uh, analyzing the saber dart, I kind of understand why they got rid of that in particular. I do understand it, man. And they, they talk about it in the the diner scene where they, like, Obi-Wan already tells Dex that he had the droids analyze that and they couldn't find anything. So we didn't actually need to see that because he, he was going to tell them anyway, you know? So right. we can just kind of roll with those uh, punches as they're being rolled out. So I totally get that. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're on Naboo, and it's kind of weird because we, because we skip out on the scenes with Padme and her family. It's this one right here. Deleted scene, Jedi Temple analysis room. Okay, a- a- Anthony's look, uh, Anthony's showing uh, some deleted scenes to me. Are you on, what is Disney, that, Disney Plus. Plus? I didn't yeah. realize, it, I forgot that the scenes were yeah, on they, Disney Yeah, they, they had them on Disney Plus. They have also, like, one for this. Oh, cool. So there's there's a bunch of deleted scenes, guys. If you want to check it out, he's lo- he's showing me one that's a, the, a raid on the droid control ship and extended arena fight scene that's three minutes long uh, during the Geonosian arena battle. So there's a bunch of deleted scenes for Attack of the Clones. And what's so great about Disney+, Plus, I think that they've totally hit the market uh, for, you know, replacing physical media and the, the biggest problem with streaming in the past for me was the fact that you don't have those special features that existed on dvds and blu-rays right uh, netflix doesn't do that at least they they haven't historically but since disney plus has been out they've had a huge focus on um documentation documentary stuff um uh, jen and i are going through a um, a documentary series called Into the Unknown, where it's like a it's like a six part series on the rush of them like making Frozen Two, uh, the movie, and it's actually it's fascinating like the amount of work that goes into it and but you know it's it's a it's a strictly Disney Plus thing so Disney Plus is really good when it comes to special features it's really good when it comes to you know cast interviews and and stuff like that like the the fact that they had a Mandalorian series um, where they it was like an eight part series where they just talked about the making of the Mandalorian is so Disney Plus that I wish 
other service. I wish other services did that as well. It was very fascinating though, the technology that they developed for that show that they included that. Uh, so yeah, that, that deleted scene on the the roid the raid on the droid control ship and the arena battle. It's not all of the scenes in it are finished, mm-hmm. so it's co- hilarious, hilarious. Wait, why? Because like some of the moments are like just really bad CGI or yeah, like pre-rendered and like drawn out scenes and stuff and yeah dude it you need to watch it like there's parts of it that are like really funny okay so where were we we were like kind of we were talking about that we're we were talking about the split oh well we were talking about naboo and the naboo scenes in general and i think it's pretty i think naboo is actually lessened by the fact that they removed the the family scenes from there because at the end of the day it just seems like one big honeymoon trip for <laughs> Padme and Anakin because they're just all alone on in these beautiful fields playing with random animals <laughs> uh, picking flowers <laughs> doing cartwheels talking about re- boys in school and talking about old crushes it's (laughs) it's just it's just a romance like sequence for like a good 10 minutes and it's uh, but that's where we really start to hear the 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 theme uh motif of this movie which is across the stars and it's i think like each of the movies has their own little theme that is unique to it and attack of the clones has across the stars which is the most used like motif for a single film in all of the saga uh it's kind of hard to explain that concept but the just the love song between anakin and padme is played throughout the movie more times than say the han and leia movie or the han and leia theme is played in empire strikes back or or, you know it's different stuff right so that's i mean i I do love john williams score i mean i mean love i love all his scores but um across the stars is a very you know lovey-dovey piece that's you know it sits it sits well with me i like it a lot and it's very obvious for what it's trying to set like what mood it's trying to set yeah but i mean it's kind of so it goes from you know really flirtatious date on really beautiful vistas to like a dark scene i know with her wearing that yeah she's wearing like a corset that's like pushing her up and she's like all dressed up to the nines and anakin's like they're they're like in this uh darkly lit room and anakin's like um he's talking about how he's like he's got this burning passion for her and he's it's eating him from the inside and uh padme's like i don't know what you're talking about and th- at this point in the movie, she clearly has feelings for him. But I don't know if it's... I don't know what it is. Because they they really haven't spent that much time together. Obviously, she knows that he cares for him. And she knows that she cared for him when he was uh, a young boy. What was he, nine in Phantom Menace? So... You're right. I think that she was... I think he was supposed to be eight or nine. And then the the second film is 10 years later 
But I, I believe that she was supposed to be 14. She was supposed to be 14, yeah, in The Phantom Menace. So if we take that to, like, so 19 and 24 is a lot more understandable than 9 and 14. But, yeah, anyway. I know, isn't it crazy that, like, age gap at that such a young age compared to, like, when you get a bit older? It, yeah, I mean, after after 18, it's really just a number. But uh, when it comes to their age disparity, it become it, it seemingly shrinks because, it, you know, even though she has way more life experience and stuff, she sees him as a man now. Right. Um, even though, okay, so, but there's some, like, really, like, uh, some really, like, annoying Anakin moments in this movie. Um, like the the scene where she's talking to the current queen of Naboo, and um, the the queen says something about like maybe this Jedi Knight will, and um, Padme goes, "Oh, he's not a knight. He's he's just a Padawan in training or something like that." And Anakin's oh, like, um, "Excuse me, my lady." Oh, uh, the guy I forgot his name. He's like, "So, so, what do you think, Master Jedi?" And she's like, "Oh, he's he, he's not a master. He he's a Padawan learner." And then she like goes on to to say uh, what they're gonna do. And he's like, "Excuse me, milady, but I'm in charge of security." And she's like, "Well, this is my home. You should want to listen to what I have to say since I know it so well, or something like that." You know? Yeah. And everyone around them is just like uh, this awkward. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like very awkward. Yeah. Um, I was like, dude, I would have hated that moment. All right, so Anakin has dreams of his mother uh, being tortured and um, attacked. And keeps him up all night, and in the morning, Padme walks out on him, and he's doing this like weird like leg stretch thing. He's looking meditating. Over. Yeah, he's, he's in his meditative stance. Um, but he divulges to her that his mother is in danger like he felt her they they make the concerted effort to you know just up and leave you know she which i appreciate with uh padme she's i don't mean that she's like willing to get her hands dirty but like when push comes to shove and like she realizes that something is worth doing she will do it even at the expense of her own safety so she's leaving the safety of naboo where she knows that she's protected to go chase for anakin's mother who you know she she just has to like blindly believe that he real like he knows that she's uh in danger um just for from this nightmare that he's had right so they go to naboo or they go to tatooine they they head over to tatooine this is the first time that anakin had been to tatooine in such a long time so him and padme they go up to wado to find out where his mother is and Watto doesn't notice him at first and then realizes who who it is and it tries to get Anakin to like talk to some people that owe him money (laughs) he's like trying to use him he's like hey you want to use your your Jedi ability to uh, intimidate some people yeah what's interesting about that scene is um, Watto has clearly like fallen on bad times. You know, he's still the the same like scumbag from 
the first movie, but now you kind of pity him a little bit because, you know, like flies are flying around him. He clearly is like sting. He stinks. He hasn't shaved in a while. Uh, he doesn't look like he has any slaves, which, you know, is a good thing. But um, for him and his livelihood, it's not. So he's in right. a bad place. Um, he is, and I think like he gets this like look of surprise when Anakin shows up and you know he's just like oh can you can you help uh can you help a whole, uh your old pal out and Anakin just like my mother <laughs> Annie it is you yeah so this is where they find out that Watto had sold his mom to a moisture farmer named Lars and uh that he freed her and married her which mm-hmm is a great thing so yeah they go out to the lars homestead and this is where he finds out that his mother was abducted by tuscan raiders the sand people and yeah they hadn't seen her in a month right that's month. what they said yeah and you know Kleek is uh handicapped because of it what's cool is um the first novelization I ever read for any book or any movie, period, was uh, Attack of the Clones. And this was like way back when the movie first came out. So I think I actually read the book before seeing the movie. And, really? Um, I Attack of the Clones? It might have been shortly after. It was definitely still in theaters when I read the book. So um, this scene is interesting in the book because they talk about like how some huge raid party uh, and, you know, in my head, I'm picturing like a World of Warcraft raid. Um, uh, actually, the World of Warcraft hadn't come out in the time, but in my head, I, people. Yeah, in, in my head, I pictured this like as like a, a big raid party sort of thing where like a bunch of villagers and including Klee Lars, you know, went and attacked the Tuscan Raiders and that's where he lost his, his leg. And that scene is described pretty well in the novelization for Attack of the Clones. So I always visualize that when I see the movie, but it's not actually a scene in the movie. So it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, right. It, it really is. I, sometimes like when you watch like a uh, like you know goblet of fire you picture certain scenes from the book that never made it into the movie but in your in your head they're played by the movie actors and stuff so it's kind of a similar concept but yeah so anakin yeah they could have stopped breaking my heart because we all know that there's things that i wish that they had in goblet of fire all right yeah, this, this, Goblet of Fire was the, the worst adapted of all the books. But let's continue. So um, Anakin leaves his girl with his uh, future godparents of his son. I, I don't know. What is their relation to, to Anakin at this point? No. So he's a half-brother to Owen, right? Step-brother. Oh, wait. Step-brother. Is- yeah, 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 yeah. Step-brother. Right. Yeah, because I don't think his mother... Yeah. No, his mother didn't conceive Owen, but married into that family. So I guess he would be a stepbrother, right? Yeah. Right. And then, um... Brew, it was his girlfriend. Okay. Got it. Yeah, so they... He leaves uh, Padme with them, and he takes a speeder bike, and he traverses the dunes of Tatooine to find 
the uh, Tusken Raiders. But you, you know, like there's so many Tusken Raiders in Tatooine that you you kind of assume he would have to like know exactly which ones these are. And I guess Klieg would have that information. So he was talking to some. Uh... Oh yeah, he talked to Jawas and stuff to like get like a better. I guess grasp on their location and stuff. Yeah, so like he's trying to like figure out. We don't know exactly what he asked them, but yeah, he was talking to some Jawas and. Are Sand People, are Tusken Raiders um, nomadic people? Because we know that they like travel like on Bantha back and like they go in like a caravan type of way and they also live in tents, which kind of lends to the idea that they're nomads that kind of like. Uh, you know, break down and pick up their stuff and like go somewhere else, which is probably why he had to talk to the Jawas in the first place. Um, yeah, I would believe so. It makes sense for thinking back to A New Hope when Obi-Wan talks about how they walk single file to cover how many there are. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Forgot about that. I know, that was like that small, like little like scene right there. Hey, but we're on the topic of Tusken Raiders, which... According to an Alexa Answers contributor, Tusken Raiders, Sand People, are fictional creatures in the Star Wars universe. They are characterized as a nomadic race who live on the planet Tatooine. Thank you, Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Usually usually we cut Alexa out of our recordings, but this one we'll keep in because that was perfect. Could you hear it? <laughs> yeah, I could hear it. She's talking about Tusken Raiders. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> Which I, I was saying, uh, speaking of Tusken Raiders, I liked what they did with them in The Mandalorian. Yeah, they kind of humanized them. Well, they, they did humanize them and they, you know, they kind of made them out to not be such bad guys and, you know, it's it's good to uh, get together and like hang out with your you know distant neighbors dude I mean that first episode of season two man like the way that they teamed up with the with the the towns people to take down that crate dragon we didn't talk about it too much in our Mandalorian season two discussion not as much as I would have liked but it was a really cool way that they you know brought the Tusken Raiders in a, into like a new light, you know, like you had a newfound appreciation for them. So yeah, that, that's cool. Right. And you, you've always seen them as these like savages, you know, with like no sense, almost like animals. And, you know, we get up to this moment where Anakin, he gets to the camp where he finds his mother and his mother dies this is like a really big leap for him towards Darth. Yeah. This is one of the darker moments in Star Wars where um, he finds his mother. He f- the, the mother has somehow been keeping herself alive uh, just for this moment to, you know, see her son one last time and then kind of just dies in his arms. And it's kind of a tragic moment. Well, it is right. a, it's a tragic moment. I'm not, it's not a kind of tragic moment, but... It's a tragic moment for Anakin because he snaps. You know, he has yeah, no he restraints snaps. at this point. He kills all the sand people, the and you know, he kills the women, the children. He killed the dogs. And 
knowing what we know from like Mandalorian and obviously, you know, common sense, you don't just murder a whole village, even if they do something terrible, like, you know, kill your mother. But he, he went off the deep end there. Yeah. What's even weirder for me is, you know, he comes, (laughs) he comes to, uh, he comes back to the homestead and he's like crying and he's he's telling Padme I slaughtered them I slaughtered them like animals not just the men but the women and the children too and you know Anakin's like or or Padme's like uh what does she say she she kind of brushes it off like it it's only human Annie and I'm like what are you talking about this guy your boyfriend just killed like a, a village full of people and you brush it off as if he you know, like, if these were Gungans, would you brush it off, Padme? Like, they're not humans, sure, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of a weird thing for... That is pretty crazy, though, thinking back how he did take them out, considering the Tuscan Raiders have given people, like, issues. Like, I mean, it's not like... I mean, they don't... It's... They can't really come combat against a lightsaber but there would be enough of them to where they could have overwhelmed him so just thinking on the fury that he had that he was able to like take out all this like village dude that's yeah, crazy so there must have been at least 50 of them in this encampment you know um not right. not, not counting the dogs and stuff or <laughs> whatever whatever those things are let's call them crate dogs <laughs> crate dogs the mongrels um, all right, so let's let's jump forward. We're, we're like kind of getting stuck in this first half of the movie. Uh, so Kenobi makes his way over to uh, Kamino, and he discovers the uh, Kaminoans, which are like the weirdest alien species in Star Wars. Not because they look weird. I mean, they do, but they're as far as you can go away from like the original series. Uh, aliens that they introduced not the original series the original trilogy aliens you know like these are fully cgi you can't make these with puppets you know um type aliens and it's more it's more like a men in black type of alien than a yeah. star wars alien which you know isn't bad it's a big galaxy out there whatever so Kaminoans, they exist they're cloners damn good ones too and they <laughs> okay dex um they make uh <laughs> some oh i love obi-wan in this moment i love his interactions with them because he's just rolling with it he's just like yes yes, yes. Uh, i know i was about to I, uh, yeah i was gonna mention that too that he's like oh you were expecting me and yes. yeah he just he was so smooth he was just going with it yeah. Like I, I love that I, I love that moment where um they they like say something to him they're like oh oh um do you want to see the cl- clones and he's like yeah that that's why I'm here right and even before <laughs> that he's like they're like there's already two hundred and fifty thousand ready to go and another million uh you know shortly thereafter or something like that he's just like oh great uh <laughs> and <laughs> oh and that's like, great news <laughs> uh and you know they talk about like master sifo diaz being the one to to order them and like that's when he like kind of like chokes like he's just like sifo diaz 
Cyphodeuce has been dead for ten years. Yeah, um, right. But then they tell him like we we got we got the army the the army that he uh, you know we have the army that he ordered. And what's up with these Kaminoans, dude? Like who paid them to do this? And okay, so their whole planet, their whole people, like all their biggest output into the Star Wars galaxy is the fact that they're excellent cloners. And if this is like their biggest project yet, they've spent 10 years not hearing anything from sifo but they've just been going gung-ho making this clone army for no one in particular. They must Who's have been paid them? well. Like, they, they, it, it had to have been like a huge deposit. Like, But again, who is paying for this? Like, because it's not the Separatists. Dooku didn't know about it. Uh, it can't have been sifo because... He's well, just a I Jedi. Do, I do remember Django saying that he was hired by Dooku. Because remember, really? he says, I was hired by a main... Uh, he, he's like, I was hired by a name, a man named uh, Tyrannus. You're right. You're right. Hmm. Alright, so... But that's weird because Dooku but, later says that he doesn't know where they got the army from. If I right. remember correctly, I might I might be misremembering that. Then I don't know if that's the case. Then the separatists did somehow have their pockets, but no, they can't have been because they wouldn't have like had no, a whole war well, for three years. Yeah, yeah, no, no. The the separatists were being played themselves. Like everybody By was Sidious. being played. So right. technically, all of this probably falls back on Palpatine, right? Right, right. Like it, I'm pretty sure that it was it could have just been him posing as um, maybe Sifo-Dyas as Sifo-Dyas and and even um and even uh Dooku you know to approaching approaching um yeah you maybe. know or you know who, who knows like maybe I mean maybe Django it, does show up to aid Dooku um, at the arena battle, so he definitely was working with Dooku. And so that some kind that of checks way. out. Yeah, that checks out. But still, I'm just trying to figure out where the funds are coming from, you know. But I guess it's Star Wars, whatever. Funds were were clearly made. Uh, I just love that, like Yoda was so like Yoda was like. Uh, well, we have an army. Let's use it, you know. And he's the first to show up, like on one of those battle cruisers, uh, with an army of clones. Right. Obi Wan. He meets. He, you know, he sees these clone units, and he meets the man who provided the DNA for these clones, which is uh, Jango Fett. And so he has a conversation with Jango Fett, and he uh, he also learns that. Uh, Django Fett had an uh, an altered clone for himself, you know, to have a son, which is Boba. So yeah, he he does a little digging. He tries to figure out, um, like, hey, have you been to Coruscant trying to, you know, figure out who was trying to kill Padme? And so he kind of hits a dead end right there. That and then he catches Django leaving with Boba, and they have an exchange, a fight, and. You know he, you know that they're going through the little scuffle, and Django doesn't. I mean, it's he gets away. 
And, and uh, yo, uh, little Boba's kind of like a little sadist because he he's like cheering his dad on as he's like blasting this one guy just like on the dock. Uh, clearly, he's a Jedi, so he's powerful and can like block the shots and everything. But he's just like, get him, dad, get him, you know. But I do like that scene a lot. I, I like the fact that Jango actually put up a really good fight one on one with a Jedi. Um, he used all his stops, almost like a Batman type character, although he had like a jetpack and everything. And right, and and it and it's very much so. And I'm glad that um, that they brought some like clarity to like the whole like Mandalorian thing, because I'm Mandalorians were you know they're very they're they're very like strong warriors that can face them off. They have the means to face off against Jedi, you know, with the Beskar. And the fact that uh, Bubba's, you know, lineage, uh, Django being a was it foundling? So he I was don't, a, was Django a foundling? I don't remember that. They had mentioned it in season two. Boba like showed that his like DNA code was was like encoded to the armor or something like that. Okay, All right. and it, and it was saying that yeah yeah Jan- like Django is part of the Mandalorian cult- culture. Okay. So and it, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it and it, you you don't remember that part? I, I do now that you mention it, but I didn't remember that he was a foundling. I remember that Django was Mandalorian, right? And, uh, and, and because Boba is Django's clone, um, like to the T, he would have the same genetic code as his father, so he would be able to use like the suit properly. I guess I don't know. I, and I mean, in all seriousness, technically, it really—I mean, it's him. Yeah, it I is. Mean, it was his father, quote yeah. unquote, father, but it was really him. So, at the end of the day, I mean, he—I mean, he learned it under his father. So, I, I would say, technically, he is Mandalorian. So, yeah, yeah, I agree, um, with, that. I agree with that. All right, but so. yeah, so yeah, let, let's move on. Um, so yeah, Django and Bobo get away. And uh, one of my one of the coolest sound effects in all of Star Wars, which they brought back for the Mandalorian, is when they are in uh, the asteroid field and they do the seismic seismic detonators. I think that's what they're called, and it's just like that. Oh, wow. seismic charges. Oh, seismic charges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like that big blue explosion that like you you hear like a second afterwards it's like this brown they, they you know that they, they had to bring that back in the mandalorian because people wanted that it like it, it gets i don't know if you noticed that it gets like super quiet like right before it explodes like it yes. kind of like sucks in the sound and then it like explodes out it's kind of like a mini black hole uh, of sound and then it's just like a explosion and it it just the, the blast pattern is so interesting so anyway they think that they blow uh obi-wan up he's clever he's you know hiding on the backside of uh an asteroid and he follows them to geonosis oh the, and then this is the moment where like when he right before that like he's flying and he's being attacked by uh, Django, and then this is where he says this is why i hate flying yes yes you're right yeah so they get to they get to geonosis and this is where um he sends a distress signal to the jedi 
Order and also to Anakin and Padme, who are now on Tatooine, um, having, you know, killed a bunch of Tusken Raiders. And during the call where he's like calling for backup, he's attacked by um, some battle droids, uh, some droidicas. And they, you know, the, the scene cuts, the Jedi realize that, oh, you know, going back a little bit, um, I want to talk about this, you know, talking about Yoda and Mace Windu, they kind of have a repertoire on this movie where like they meet up several times in like their own little meditation center. I don't know if that's just them or like all the Jedi Masters do it, but during the scene where Anakin is killing the Tusken Raiders, they cut to Yoda like meditating and you hear uh, Liam Neeson like yelling, Anakin, no! You know, he's like, you hear the force ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, Did you hear the force ghost? Yeah, my dog. You, you, <laughs> see, you, you see it right here. Um, yeah, you hear the force ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn, like, you know, screaming for Anakin to, to stop because uh, obviously he's going down a dark path. And But uh, it's so cool because that's the first introduction of, like, the force ghost idea into the Star Wars, like, timeline. So that's pretty cool. But, all right, back, back on track. Uh, Obi-Wan calls out for the Order to help him. And um, the Order like tells uh, Anakin and Padme that they need to... Uh, he needs to protect uh, the Senator at all costs. And Padme's like... It's, it's funny because Anakin, he will obey the Council sometimes, but other times when it's very personal to him, he disobeys. Oh, yeah. And and he disobeyed when it came to protecting the senator, um, protecting Padme, when his mother was involved. So when it was a personal thing, when it was an attachment, he disobeyed, and that's a pattern that he falls into. You know, that was an emotional attachment that Jedi's aren't supposed to have, and he broke his Jedi code to go save his mother, which you know isn't a wrong thing to do. But it does. It is the start of him breaking that um, code, basically, with the Jedi. So, right. yeah, Padme realizes that Obi Wan's in trouble, and again, she's cool. She's awesome. She decides this is more important than my safety. Let's go help Obi Wan. Um, so right, she says. To follow him. Right, because An- Anakin is kind of reluctant because of that. I mean, he wants to go. But she's like, well, I'm going to go and you're supposed to protect me. So you're just going to have to go where I go. Obi-Wan gets kidnapped. You know, Jedi after, knapped. you know, he kind of like, he, eaves- he eavesdrops on a, like a separatist get together or planning session or meeting, whatever you want to call it. And it's kind of like a weird, stupid scene that is just like one of my favorites like the guy who's just like uh what's his name Wat Tambor who has like different like knobs on his chest like wee, oh wee, yeah from the techno wee. union from the techno union yeah like, what does that mean the techno union is under your control or something like that yeah, yeah. and I was like he's like the techno and he's like turning that knob I'm like Dude, what's what? what's fine is like his voice was perfectly acceptable to start with and then he started like we will we will 
Um, so yeah, that that's a funny scene. But anyway, he gets tra- he gets kidnapped shortly after that, and Dooku is like trying to pretend like he's still on uh, like Obi Wan's side, but he's just doing a bad job at selling it. He's just like, oh no, there must be some mistake. Uh, I we'll know, get this right? Fixed immediately, yeah. I know, like, right? Like it's like very obvious that it's like, okay, come on, dude. Yeah, like why are we you, don't why are you even putting you. up this front? Like at least just, just <laughs> monologue instead of doing whatever you're doing. Yeah, just just monologue. Yeah, that was a funny scene. You know, th- there's that moment where he talks about Qui Gon, and what are your thoughts on that about Qui Gon? Where he he was like, oh, I could use his help, and Obi Wan's like. Qui-Gon would never help you. I think two things. Qui-Gon was known as a Jedi that was as close to a great Jedi as you had in this time period. You had Jedis that kind of like fell off, like Dooku and stuff, and he just did his own thing. Um, Yeah, he walked away to become the Count of... Was it uh, Sereno? Sereno, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, he became the Count of Sereno. Um, which is his family home planet. I can understand why Dooku would think that his Padawan, Qui-Gon Jinn, would join with him. Because we knew Qui-Gon saw a lot of the faults in the Jedi belief pattern that he didn't really gel with. But I think Obi-Wan knew him better, or at least he had a more ideal um, aspect, or like... Uh, fondness to his previous master in the sense that he knew that he knew that Qui-Gon would never have done that like and actively sided against the Jedi or the Republic what are your thoughts I mean do you agree with that or do you think that where would where do you think Qui-Gon would have felt so yeah no I I see exactly what we're talking about because every like everything that I've read with Qui-Gon, especially with uh, Master and Apprentice, he's gone against the Council's wishes. And and not in a sense that, you know, he's like a Sith Lord, but in a sense that, you know, he'll do things that's not popular opinion, and a lot of the times, he he's right. Or the way he'll go about something isn't the way that the Council wants him to do it, you know? Yeah. And... It shows, and and in that master apprentice, he's very much the rule breaker, and Obi Wan's the rule follower, which yeah. he does kind of stay like that to an extent until, I guess, like when we get to Episode One. Episode One, he's kind of a lot more like uh, Qui Gon. Uh, you're talking at about that point. Obi Wan, yeah, he becomes more lenient. I think it's uh, a matter of. Um... A mix of maturity and teenage angst in like episode one obi-wan you know like he's right. at those years where he's very flippant and his attitude is very angsty but he's also i, I don't know he's, he's like mature enough to like care about certain things so i don't know it's like a, obi-wan has a weird arc but it's a noticeable one but yeah i don't think i don't think qui-gon would have sided with his former master Right, right. I think he would have tried to get down to the bottom of it, but yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Um, like Yoda said, Dooku has gone down a dark path, um, one where he tries to, uh, where he uses like uh, 
deception and misleading information to i guess to like seduce people into that ideology so um yeah so i don't think qui-gon would have fallen for that but yeah i agree um anakin and padme they make it to geonosis and they have this weird like fumbling entrance where they go into the caves and they fall into this factory thing and it's a scene i've never liked like even when i was a kid i always thought it was a dumb scene and it's not like a really dumb scene like i can understand like this is the droid making factory and this is where uh they put the heads on this is where they have buckets of lava and this is where i've never i always found it a very cartoony scene what how do you feel about that that scene doesn't bother me i would say like all all the major scenes don't bother me the parts that bother me are some of the in-betweens the relationship development between anakin and padme is kind of awkward awkward but not in a natural way like it's it's forced it's totally is forced yeah like yeah it's like not organically awkward but yeah they they're making their way through this factory and it's almost like the this movie's trash compactor scene but it doesn't have the chemistry of the original trilogy cast at all (laughs) so yeah they get they get caught and uh right before they get brought out into the arena this is where padme professes her love to anakin which like before that moment like didn't get that at all didn't it's, really like yeah i'm telling you it's like stockholm syndrome with padme like she was totally like brainwashed by this guy's like overbearing um infatuation with her uh, you know it's it's tough and i think lucas was put into a hard position where he made anakin too young in the first movie to have any real chemistry with padme and then in this movie it's him playing catch-up because by the end of the movie he has he wants Anakin and Padme to be married together so that you know their arc in the next film makes sense you know they're they're a married couple she's pregnant and stuff but yeah so he has a lot of like catching up but the problem is I don't think that Hayden Christensen or Natalie Portman or Natalie Portman have any actual chemistry it doesn't seem like that anyway or at least the direction of the film didn't push them towards like working together very well so i don't know it's it's a really weird awkward relationship the whole way through and i think it i think the film suffers from it because i never buy it do you do you think that instead of it being like separated like it had to be a trilogy that they should have had a fourth movie to kind of add more development you know i don't understand I, I do and I don't. I, I like the idea of the trilogy. Like the, the uh, a strong trilogy is like a really, it's, it's 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 fantastic. You know, like the Indiana Jones trilogy. Of uh, the fourth one didn't really add anything to it. It really kind of muddied the story a little bit. But you get like strong trilogies in Hollywood. Um, but nowadays, with stuff like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it, uh, a trilogy isn't what it used to be you know right and... like like i i just i feel like it's hard to do long-term storytelling in a movie unless you're spreading it over you know over more movies like in the mcu they're able to do the the um you know infinity gauntlet and um infinity wars 
really over all, an entire span of movies. So like there's a it was it was a story contained like it was an overarching story that was spread out over all these other stories. But I feel like where TV is now, that TV can do a better job at better storytelling. Yeah, at least more nuanced and like character development wise and stuff. But there is something to be said about a movie, you know. There, there, some some forms of long form um, media really lend themselves to the screen, and Star Wars is something that I think will always have its place on the big screen. Even though we have like successes with Mandalorian and some of the animated shows, Star Wars has and always will like be foremost um, uh, a thing for movies. And right, right. But I think what aside from the whole issue with cg that what they were trying to do in the prequel films is that you know they're trying to spread so much within three films and it was just not enough especially when it comes to the anakin and padme arc i think that was the most important thing that they had to do uh, aside from figuring out how Anakin became Darth Vader. That was like number one uh, most important thing on the on Lucas's to-do list. But when it came to Padme and Anakin, I, I think that there needed to be more development. Like it would have somehow been better, I don't know, if Anakin was older in the first movie or if they were like a similar age where there could have been some chemistry, you know, by the time that the second movie rolled around and Padme already had some feelings for Anakin at the start but you know you go you go into Attack of the Clones and it takes it you know presumably it spans like maybe a week's time and um, they fall in love with each other and it's I think because it's so forced because the story requires them to fall in love with each other in the span of the one movie in the span of two hours that it just doesn't sell it and I think maybe if they did have like a, a movie in between Attack of the Clones and Re, uh, Revenge of the Sith, and it took place somewhere in the Clone Wars era, that could have been a good opportunity for them to explore the relationship more, for it to be more real to us. Yeah, that, and I, I think, I think that this is why I enjoy Clone Wars so much, is that. It ties up a lot that's like left undone in the in that um, original prequel trilogy, and I think that that's why I have a little bit more connection with that than uh, than Rebels. I enjoy Rebels a lot. I think that Rebels is a, a, a it's a completely like it's a fantastic um, cartoon uh, series, and it gets way better when when you get to like the later seasons. It's going up to the original trilogy, which is like pretty much the cream of the crop. Like, you know, that did there, you know, there's maybe some plot holes and some stuff that needed to be tied up in that. But when people look back at the original trilogy, it's really just people love it. When people look back at the prequel trilogy, people absolutely hate it. And that's a that's the trilogy that I grew up with. And anything that tries to help with that story is good in my book and let me tell you those later seasons and clone wars absolutely fantastic once you get part get past the character development and the super kitty stuff love it 
Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree uh, with everything you said. Um, but we're we're coming close to two hours. Yeah, of yeah, podcast, I agree. So let's let's roll it back. Uh, let's jump ahead to the arena fight because I have some thoughts on you know as as they exit into the arena, Padme and Anakin, you know, uh, do that. Uh, Starcrossed lovers type kiss where they they are under the impression that they're probably going to die within the next couple minutes in the arena. So you know they 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 kiss and they they get brought over to their pillars next to uh, Obi Wan, and you know Anakin kind of like looks at Obi Wan kind of shyly and he goes, "We came to rescue you," and like that classic Obi Wan wit where he goes, "Good job." And you know they're all tied up. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I love like, and it, it was like the the sarcasm in the voice and and like the way he he looked, just classic. Ewan is just he's he's a fantastic. Just he's fantastic for that role. Can't wait to see him in in his TV show. I think he was the strongest actor in the 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 prequels. Um, for in, in my perspective, I, obviously I love Natalie Portman's work. Um, like Christopher Lee outside too. of what Christopher Lee too I mean aside from a couple of moments but I mean Christopher Lee Christopher Lee is a fantastic actor um, but he does have some scenes where I'm just like I don't think he's like buying this like the the scene where he's talking with the other separatists around the table it doesn't look like he wants to be in that scene because clearly he's just talking to like cgi characters and there's nobody actually there so i can tell when he's like annoyed i think it's the writing for him because you we all know i mean we can we know he can act it's just the writing has to be right for him yeah anyway all right so Back to the, the the fight in the arena. Uh, the, the fight's about to begin, and um, Anakin and Obi Wan are talking, and blah blah blah. And Obi Wan gives Anakin some advice, and Anakin's like, "What about Padme?" And he goes, "Oh, I think she's on top of things." And they turn around, and like she's climbing up the the pole. And it's so Classic great. Pun. This scene is so good because. Um, it shows their three styles of um, cunning. It shows their three styles of attack. And this is the first time I've ever like thought about this. But like, she is very self-sufficient. She'll find her own way. She'll get out of any bind or the, the binding like uh, on her own terms, and she does. Like she she uses, um, I think, like a pin that she had in her mouth uh, to get out of the restraints, and she climbs up to a better vantage point that's like totally her style then obi-wan on the other end of the uh, arena is you know he's he's waiting for his opponent to attack which is you know what he does with vader which is what he does with darth maul which is um like it's it's totally his style uh darth maul not in phantom menace but in you know rebels when well yeah he allows the he allows the the monster i forget all the monsters names but um right the, the he allows the monster to jab at his restraints and like break the chain while anakin is very domineering he wants to take control of the fight so he jumps on to uh, the bull wraps the chain around him like a harness or like like uh, like reins 
and like or like a lasso almost and like bull fights him to the point where the chain breaks off the 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 thing so it kind of shows their three personalities coming out in the way that they break free from their restraints and I, it's something i've never thought about until like i was watching it this time right through. but um yeah i love that yeah yeah so you she, know, can't, she can't do that shoot her or something <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> and then Dooku's just like be patient she will die <laughs> um yeah so you know they, they're going through this you know they, they they do take you know their their licking you know they get beat up a little bit they bring out some true uh some some droids right in this moment this is where they like bring out droid some droids yeah, this is when they bring the droids out. Um, and then this is where um, where uh, Mace Windu comes up and uh, he says, this party's over. <laughs> Such a Samuel L. Jackson thing to say. It really is, though. Um, uh, I like it, though. Yeah, I yeah, don't know no, for sure. And uh, th- this is where it's revealed that... Um, like, so many Jedi, like, it looked like the entire Jedi Order was there. And yeah, they they have like this massive battle between the Jedi and the and the droids, and I both love this scene and I hate it at the same time. Why? Watching it yesterday, like the parts that I hated was like the really bad CG, but the action and the fighting is what I actually really enjoyed about it. Like the so moments I... where you can notice the bad CG, it's like, man, I really like the fact that it's a bunch of jedi fighting um we've never seen a fight like this right jedi before so this is a unique moment and i remember being in the theater and this is one of the moments that like i'll always remember in theaters thinking like holy crap it's about to go down and you know you see lightsabers like lighting up all over the arena like how did you guys just get here and like nobody saw you nobody saw you roll in but uh they start fighting and um, uh, eventually they they get cornered. Uh, a lot of Jedi die, actually. Like, uh, like a lot of Jedi died in that scene. Yeah. And Yoda eventually rolls in with his uh, newfound clone army. So that's pretty cool. Where'd you get yeah. that, Yoda? Yeah, I know. He, he, he comes in. Um, yeah, because the, the Jedi were about to get shot up because... They had stopped that fight for a little while, and uh, Dooku told him, "You know, give up now, and we'll let you, we'll let you live." And Samuel Jackson, he, 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 yeah, yeah he, he wasn't gonna do that. He said no. And then, yeah, you, uh, Yoda comes in, just out of nowhere, huge. Like the thing that gets me is that you see him coming in, but not only is he coming in, you see these. That, entire destroyers like entering the at- like they're in the atmosphere already it's like how did you not notice that up there yeah like did you not notice your, that being up there like does you, your planet have like no uh like sensors to determine when there's a threat nearby or you know you, you're supposed to have this secret base so you would have these sensors like blaring, right right but whatever i mean there's only so many criticisms you can throw at a movie but so yeah this um, is when the clone war starts uh yeah and yoda actually says uh that line um begun the clone wars has and so 
So yeah. Oh, so then uh, let's jump forward and talk about the fight with Anakin and Obi Wan and Count Dooku and Yoda. Let's do it. I mean, again, it goes it goes with uh, Anakin's fight style where he's domineering and he wants to take charge and right. he's always um, he's always like headfirst in battle and that's like ultimately his undoing and their undoing because you know together they could have taken him but. You know, he's Anakin, and he clearly fell into the trap because he got force lightning, force lightninged uh, into oblivion. <laughs> All right, and I, I like it when he's uh, fighting Obi Wan. <laughs> when he says to Obi Wan, he's like, "Oh, Yoda's held you in high esteem," and then like they like hit each other, and he's like. Surely you could do better. <laughs> right. It's Dude, so he's, video he's like, gamey. He's egging like Obi-Wan he's like egging on. him on and like that moment it reminds me of those like like in a video game when you're fighting a boss and like the boss is like heckling you. Right. Yeah, it's totally what that is. Yeah, so that was fun. That's a good scene. Uh Anakin gets his arm chopped off shortly thereafter. Um, which is a weird cut because like they're they're like doing their little dance and then like Anakin stops moving for like a second and you can tell it's choreographed poorly you know like you can tell like because nobody ends. right like it wasn't like an it it wasn't in like a motion he almost looked like he was t posing yes and and then like the that half second of delay Dooku chops his arm off. And yeah, so Anakin loses his first arm, one of many. Um, one of many limbs. <laughs> yeah, um, dude, that guy loses a lot of limbs. Oh uh, man, this guy. But yeah, this is where your boy comes in. Yes, you want to talk about that for a little bit? It, um, yeah, I thought you were gonna want to talk about it since uh, that was your favorite boy for so long. Um, All right, yeah, sure. I'll talk about him. I'll talk about him. Yoda. Well, well, uh, well I'll, I'll, I'll bring it in this. I'll bring in the moment. Um, so, yeah, uh, Dooku looks like he, uh, you know, he, he threw it down. You know, he was going to he's going to take out a couple of Jedis, but enters in a third contender. And this is uh, Dakota's boy. Yeah. Let's, uh, so let's talk about it. All right. So, yeah, Yoda, he comes in with his cane. And I love that because, yeah, Yoda comes in with his cane. He's clearly struggling. You know, he's walking with a limp. He's he's uh, got his uh, walking stick, and um, he's old. He's decrepit. He's you know he's almost nine hundred years old at this point, and you know it's about to go down. But as soon as he starts using the Force, like he like opens his cape and like draws on, uh, he he draws his lightsaber. Um, like Harry saying Akio, but like he, he pulls it, he pulls it into his hand with the force. Like he doesn't even have like the, uh, he doesn't have the patience in that moment to like, just grab it. Like he wants to, you know, show that he's got style. Like after all these years, he's still got style and yo, Yoda goes hard. Um, I know for somebody who's like just limping moments earlier. Well, what I really think, what I love about that is that he doesn't use the force to better his, uh, to better himself, 
if that makes sense. Like he, he's not using it frivolously to help with the wear and tear of age, you know? Like he still struggles on a daily basis and he doesn't allow the force to aid him, even though he clearly has the ability to allow the force to like, you know, boost his strength and, and stuff like that. But when he's in the fight, he allows the force to loosen him up or whatever it does. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, he goes, he starts hopping around like, like a cat. I don't know. Uh, so I, I like that moment for a couple reasons, but I, I like, I like that it's a contest between Dooku and Yoda for a little bit. They're, you know, they're sparring, they're using force abilities. Uh, they're, they're seeing who the stronger person is. And then Dooku's like, clearly we're not going to figure this out through our skill with the force but with the skill of our lightsaber right yeah that was like a crazy moment they're like just standing there looking at each other using force a bit well it it's was a really battle. yeah really and yoda and all in all seriousness like yoda really wasn't doing anything he was just deflecting everything it was all dooku doing everything um I do like the thing that I like and it shows how powerful Yoda is where that second lightning attack that he takes from Dooku he just like he like grabs it with his hand and just shrinks it yeah until it disappears I wonder actually because that was sure that was like the first thing that Yoda did in that fight and before that we see that he's limping into the scene and um yeah it, that's that's the first thing that he does is like absorb the power or like the the force ability that um the force lightning that dooku did and he kind of like balled it up and i wonder if he like absorbed the ability into himself and that allowed him to like get that boost of energy that he needed to fight dooku throughout the fight i don't know maybe i'm looking into that too much but <laughs> there is a difference between yoda like limping in with a cane and him jumping around like crazy you know like yeah he was clearly boosted by the force in some way whether it was the force lightning or just the lightning that or just the the force that he called him upon basically it wasn't really like a decisive win on either party's part right uh dooku kind of plays dirty and tries to knock down he goes to knock down this um this like thing down on uh anakin and obi-wan and yoda has to stop fighting to save them and then this is where dooku gets away yeah yeah no he's he realizes that he's probably gonna lose and so he he plays dirty but yeah so that's uh pretty much the extent of like all the cool scenes in attack of the clones at the end we see anakin and padme back on naboo they uh are having their wedding ceremony uh c-3po and r2 uh which we haven't talked about in this and this thing yet so far um are with them yeah they have a couple moments in this film yeah like die jedi die and um, and what a drag (laughs) 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 what a drag i mean the 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 puns were real in this movie Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, I liked that he had like a cool metal hand. It was like really... I, I don't know, they made it like extra shiny, not like Luke's hand. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and then we we see Sidious and Tyrannus, you know, or um, Tyrannus or Dooku gives Sidious the plans for the Death Star, and uh, that's kind of like the the cliffhanger right there is that like the plans that they were making on Geonosis would eventually culminate in the Death Star that we see in the original trilogy. Yeah, and that's Attack of the Clones. That's it. And I think that's it. I think that's uh, our discussion of Attack of the Clones. What did you? Th- what are your any final thoughts, Anthony? Is this is this the best Star Wars movie? It is the absolute best Star Wars film that you could ever watch. Action packed, story driven, filled with all the puns you want and need in your life. And I <laughs> totally agree. And you know what? I you know in a, in a very real sense, you're absolutely right. It is the best Star Wars movie. And I think it gets a, a lot of undeserved flack. Obviously, it has flaws. Obviously, there's a lot of like chemistry that's necessary for like the proper story arcs that just is lacking in these movies. And it's clearly rushed. You know, this is a middle chapter that's trying to bridge the first and the third um, in a way that's meaningful. But in a lot of ways, it isn't. But I really appreciate the effort that goes into uh, or that went into it. I liked the story for what it was, and I liked every or most of the individual scenes that were in it. You know, it just, for whatever reason, it just doesn't come together as well as it should. But I still have a huge fondness for the movie for what it is and how, you know, I grew up with it, you know? So right. that's that's my thoughts on it. Um, I agree. I do believe that while it does have its flaws, that it's not the absolute worst thing that you can watch i've seen a lot of bad movies out out there and attack of the clones is not that could they have done a lot better or could have george lucas done a lot better with this film of course but i think that he tried to do the best that he could with what he had technology wise he was trying to be cutting edge he was essentially trying to do what Favreau and Dave Filoni did for The Mandalorian except the technology wasn't 100% there back then yeah I I, th- I kind of wish it was because I think that we would have gotten a lot cooler or more dynamic scenes than what we did receive but you know this movie and uh, the prequels in general were huge huge influencers and in the way um, Hollywood uh, made movies after the fact uh, with its green screen technology so yeah. i mean it was a game changer it just wasn't the game changer that he wanted or he needed i should say all right with that being said thank you for listening to episode 26 of project ecology it's 1143 uh for us and i think we're both tired and ready for bed so we're gonna call it a night here all right everyone have a great rest of your week and join us back here next monday for an episode of whatever it is that you choose yeah so we'll have a poll on our twitter uh at p geekology and on our youtube channel geek critique so that you can vote in for what you want to listen next week all right guys have a good one bye